0: Welcome to another Jabronis Only. Thanks for joining us and welcome if you're a new listener. On this show, we're talking about Season 11, Episode 4, D made a smock film, which is a really excellent episode. The best way to enjoy this show is to go and watch the episode and then come back and listen along with us and see if you agree as we choose our favourite lines, our favourite scenes, talk about the characters and decide who won the episode. Welcome to episode number six. We've reached number six of Jabroni's Only. Uh, I'm Martin Johnston, and over in uh, over in Murfield is Seaweed Eater, Yorkshire Separatist, and art critic Tom Coates. Hi, how are you doing? (laughs) I'm all right. Do you have you? Do you ever get seaweed from the Chinese? Do you like seaweed?
1: I think I've had it before. I I I can remember that I didn't dislike it. I think I had it when I've had you know I've been to like your sushi or somewhere like that. I think I've had it
0: there. Have you had it? Yeah. um, I don't like it. Well, it's all right. You know, it's not something I would be bothered to, you know, it's not like number one choice. It's okay. I think it's very, very good for you. If it's in a soup or something or in a beer or something. Actually, it was my dad's birthday recently and I sent him whiskey that was made out of seaweed.
1: Oh wow, very hipster.
0: What he doesn't know is that I um he only got the seat it sounded like you know oh, this is really unusual. But it was the cheapest one in the whiskey <laughs> in, the, <laughs> in the online whiskey shop. So it
1: does sound like it should be expensive.
0: Yeah, exactly. Which but,
1: is the main thing really.
0: Yeah, exactly. And do you know what is what can be very expensive? Paintings. Oh.
1: <laughs> they can, yeah.
0: They, they can be up to thirty five thousand dollars worth.
1: <laughs> You've got the money to finance it, yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that's what it all comes down to. Um, of course we're talking about our episode today is D Made a Smut Film, which is season eleven, episode four, first aired on yep. the twenty seventh of twenty-seventh of January in twenty sixteen. And it, it'd be really hard for this episode not to be in anyone's top ten. There's so much at play here.
1: Yeah, definitely. Do you want me to go through the the plot?
0: Give us the plot. Give us the plot summary.
1: The plot summary is Dee shows the gang a clip from an independent film she appeared in that turns out to be a Cinemax softcore porno starring Richard Grieco. The gang argues over what is considered art, leading Mac and Frank to try to market Charlie's childish doodles as modern art. And Dennis recruits Dee to adapt his erotic memoirs into a film to cash in on the success of Fifty Shades of Grey.
0: It's a very detailed bio this week. It is, but in the detailed bio, they they kind of miss one thing out. That in actual fact, when it comes to the crunch, when it comes to the to the payoff, it's not Charlie's doodles; it's cricket's art. Or is right, it Charlie's yeah. doodles that are presented as cricket's art?
1: It's Charlie's doodles that are inspired by. Ah, right, cricket. yeah, yeah. the confusing thing is, cricket is presented as the artist to potential buyers.
0: Another great opening to the show. Not in that it's absolute hilarious, but. Uh, it's just like it's a it's a little it's a little story in its own right. They're expecting it to be terrible, then they're drawn in by really simple things. Like there's a really nice kind of sunset shot. <laughs> they're immediately, you know, and they're so sh- they're, they're so shallow that they're they're immediately because they expected it to be terrible. They're immediately drawn in and think maybe D has done something good.
1: Yeah, you do get a lot of their shallowness exposed in this. So further down the episode, Dennis wanting to work with D, I wanting to rope D in to his projects and he's presenting it to Dee as that he's trying to do it to boost her career but really he's just doing it for himself and there's a lot of that exposed in this especially with Dennis
0: yeah so it's 3 12 p.m on a Tuesday for once the date is not significant but they're all sitting down to watch a film because Dee says she's in it and the superb thing is of course that it's set up so she's talking about it like it's an art house film they're bought into that then you get yeah. the clip, which is in which, of course, she is terrible, <laughs> which is superb. <laughs> but it's got a well-known American actor. I mean, I didn't know, I didn't know of him, but a well-known American actor. And it turns out that yeah. it's a porno. So it's just a a great little story in it. And they're so delighted as well. That the last clip of their <laughs> yeah. of their faces before the credits. It's just so good.
1: And it's one of those where they really tear up the name of the episode as, as part of the. The punchline, so I think the last line that Dean gives is like, I have not made a smut film, and then it flashes to the episode name.
0: <laughs> yeah, and they, they they do that occasionally. Always a great way to, to start an episode.
1: They have a bit of fun with it, though. I, I think it's the first season where they don't. So the first season, there is no effort to do it. So I think, in fact, the first thing you see is the name of the show. It's always sunny in Philadelphia, and then the name of the episode. But I think from season two onwards... And as the series progresses, they do increasingly use it. They don't use it every time, but often it's you know it's part of the punchline. As I say, and it, it, they work it really well this time.
0: Yeah, and there's so there's so many great lines here that I'm going to give a giveaway, but just before the credits. And the, the line that makes them that delights them so much is "gobble that cock." <laughs>
1: <laughs> they're all on the same page. It's one of those episodes again. I know they are split into their various little escapades. But it's one where they're all sort of united against D. It's, it's funny, we actually watched um, D-Day the other day, just in passing. And I'm sure, obviously, we'll get to it eventually on our podcast. But that's another one where they're all united against D.
0: As I said, there's so many things at play here. It's one of those episodes where they all have their own thing to do, their own role. They're all approaching this kind of story, or they, the different stories, in their own way. Dennis ends up trying to prove that his, his sex tapes aren't smut. That's his ultimate yeah. goal. And then along yeah. the way, he gets to say what is art. Frank yeah. becomes the superb Ongo Goblogian, which we'll get into. And, you know, as, yeah. as is usual, is a facilitator, but gets to, gets to kind of um, do, be a facilitator in a more interesting way than just flashing the cash this time. Charlie yeah. sees himself as a, again, he calls himself a businessman. So he, seeing himself as an artist... He translates that as some kind of businessman. And of course, one of the superb elements of this of this episode is Charlie doing a Greco. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's superb. And then you've got a Mac want, just wants to prove it, that anything, anything stupid can be art. And then Dee is trying to prove that she's an actress or a, or a director. So they've all got something to prove in this episode, rather than being carried along by the plot or, or rather than being party to somebody else's struggle in this. They've all got their own horse to ride. And that makes yeah. it so good.
1: Definitely. One of the interesting things as well with Mac is his sort of objective, his horse to ride. It isn't very self-serving. It's not something that he wants to do for his benefit, which obviously one of the recurring themes is that they're all in it for themselves and they all stand to benefit in some way if something comes off. But with Mac, his campaign, if you like, is just to make a, to prove a point. It's not to gain anything as such, which I find quite interesting. Charles, is, I suppose, he's just enjoying being Richard Grieco. And I will say that I'm the same as you. I didn't really recognise who Richard Grieco was at first. I remember reading about him after watching it the first time. But you don't really need to understand who Richard Grieco is to enjoy Charlie's portrayal of him.
0: No, I think the only subtlety in that, you know, the thing that you maybe you do need to understand, which I didn't understand until I looked him up, was that he's not actually a porn actor. He's a bit Tommy Wiseau. Do you know who Tommy Wiseau is?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. So he's a bit Tommy. He's like a real Tommy Wiseau, isn't he? And he could easily be a porn actor. But and, I, and who knows if he had a background in it, but, you know, his legitimate, his biggest thing is 20 on Jump Street. I understand. So I, I presume that he was a porn actor, so, but that's a sort of thing that bears noting.
1: And Frank as well, his motivation, you know, he, he, often his, he doesn't have much motivation that serves himself. He's just having fun. And I think he's just enjoying reliving a, an old episode of his life.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's a bit when, when he's looking at the picture that she describes because it was by a man who fled the Nazis. He totally yeah. understands the picture. <laughs> I don't, and I don't really understand why they did that. Because maybe it's to, to, to solidify the reason he bought it for $35,000. But for some reason, what she says totally resonates with him to the point of fact that he fantasizes. You get the Carmina Burana and you get the, the, uh, the Nazis and Stukas and all that whenever he sees the painting.
1: But there's an extra element to that as well. If you look at the other episode, the the one with the granddad, pop, pop, the final solution, where it right? turns out that Dennis and Dee's grandfather was a Nazi. So I don't know whether there's something at play there. Yeah, it frank- could be. About it, and I think he's like he's moved by the painting. But is there some sort of undertone of his family's history with Nazism?
0: And as I say, you know what, this is great because there's so many things at play. So hats off to the writer Eric Legend who doesn't, yeah. I couldn't find much about him on IMBD. He wrote a film in 2007 called Puberty, the movie. Um, All right. <laughs> do you think your puberty would have made a good movie? <laughs> I think
1: that would have been a dressing boring movie, I think.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mine too, some kind of like Swedish art house movie. <laughs> um, and Todd Bierman, uh, who is de- very much of the current Rob McElhenney gang, is uh, the yeah. director, so he's... He's done stuff on the like Mick, him. and he's on Mythic Quest now. And he's actually from Philly, so I think I um, read somewhere previously that he's a, not childhood friend, but a like teenage friend of um, oh, okay. of, of Rob McElhenney. So, good cool. chops. Yeah, definitely. Talking about the, the characters, uh, we talked about Greco, but he is superb. I mean, he just doesn't overplay it, he doesn't underplay it, he doesn't look embarrassed, you know, the lines they give him to say, the terrible porno lines he has to say, and then he has to eat seaweed... He's just great. He's so good.
1: Yeah, he's great because they do destroy him, really, early in the episode and they really, like, make light of him. Well, I mean, they're never nasty, but they are poking a lot of fun at him. It reminds me of an episode of Extras, you know, the Ricky Gervais Extras, where they have a different sort of cameo, and the whole setup of the episode is that they're sort of lampooning that person's career as an actor or an actress, and then that person actually features in it. And I remember watching it and being... Like quite surprised in this episode that Richard Grieco actually appears because, you know, they're taking the mick out of him. You know, that's one of the recurring themes of the episode. But then he's actually in it. so
0: Yeah, and as I I said, uh, I presumed he was a porn actor. So that's the level they've brought him to. But in terms of what's required of him in this episode, he is fantastic. Talking of extras, I have a funny relationship with that programme. I quite liked it. I, I didn't love it. And I hated the fact that he did that thing where he couldn't do the gay line. And he walked out. Um, yeah, I, that that really, really rankled with me. I, I I don't I don't know what he was trying to say there, you know. And that, and sometimes Ricky Gervais is so off the mark. But the very last episode where he's on Big Brother is absolutely yeah. stunning television. And literally, you know, when he apologizes to her on camera, I can remember crying when when he did that. I think that episode is just so superb.
1: Yeah, I'm with you on a lot of that. And like the the, the way they approach the sort of homophobia topic it is a bit weird isn't it it seems a bit dated like i know it's it's like early noughties are we talking when this came out and it's strange that he's sort of portraying himself as this person i mean you know he's playing a character ultimately but he's portraying that character as having real hang-ups about homosexuality and it does seem a bit amiss but yeah that special is fantastic and I enjoyed most of it. Like, I'm very hit and miss with Ricky Gervais, to be honest. I, I, I really liked the new new thing that's on, um, or oh, i say new, the fairly recent thing, Afterlife, on Netflix. I know that's not an out-and-out comedy. But, yeah, there's some stuff he does that I'm not hugely keen on. Like, I've never really been swept up in, like, David Brent as a character. I know it's like, a controversial thing to say. But...
0: <laughs> We've talked about The Office before, haven't we? But I think, yeah, yeah that that's the thing, isn't it, that... What you come to realise after watching two, three series, whatever it was, of The Office, Brent is just another character. He's probably the, yeah. the character who has the most lines, but there's so much to that. And I think I think Afterlife was great as well. I think this, this second series was less funny, but just as poignant, obviously. Um, yeah. But I the, the Paul Kay character, I don't know. That's Again, that's just him being so off the mark. And I know yeah. he, you're not, you're supposed to despise that character, but there's just too much of that to, to make it work.
1: And like the portrayal of of his old his old school friends is just a bit, I don't know, it's very cliched. And I, yeah, it's a bit of a weird on that. But I think overall, it's a good series. And overall, I do like Ricky Gervais.
0: So Ricky Gervais gets a tick from this podcast. Um yeah. You know what else gets a tick from this podcast? We need to reinvigorate it as well. Um, maybe with some on berries, but the uh, yeah. the word hella.
1: <laughs> yeah, I love that as well. Like I was going to mention that because we we spoke before about how sort of they have little conventions as a as a gang. Little um, I don't know what conventions is the right word, but little rules that they follow as a gang where they've got like, what was the example we used before? Oh, you they put the hand up to ask a question. for yeah. Example.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Rules that they all follow. And I like the fact that that Charlie's way of approaching the word hella is, are we saying hella now? it has to be a gang consensus that we can incorporate that word into the vocabulary and Max very quickly, very quick to shut it down. Although obviously Charlie ignores him and carries on, but I just love the fact that they approach a lot of things as a collective. Like, is it a part of the gang or isn't it?
0: Yeah, it is, and it's a re- it's really interesting social commentary because they're so bang on the money with that. Well, I don't know if it was if it was McElhenney or one of the other writers or even Eric Legend himself, but so on the money because it was a word <laughs> that was out for everybody was saying it for a while and then everyone stopped saying it, and <laughs> it is really really on the money. It's great.
1: I think I remember using it on like MSN Messenger, saying "hella," no, like <laughs> no no doubt song called Hella Good which I think was probably around the peak use of it in vocabulary
0: there's a great band called Kayoukas as well used to be called Oregon Bike Trails but they got sued by the government of Oregon for that name so they became Kayukas and they've got a song called Hella two songs to put in the show notes there
1: you
0: go is the No Doubt song good
1: it's not to be fair it's not one of their better ones I, like, I really like No Doubt, but that's not one of their better ones, I don't think. But Maybe you can play it over the closing credits.
0: Yeah, good idea. It's, <laughs> it's called Hello What by No Doubt, so I can make an out of Hello Good. Hello Good. Sounded me scribbling there. The other two characters to call out, obviously there's the porn actress, but she doesn't get to say anything. Mm-hmm. But Mary Hind uh, plays the, uh, the art gallery owner, and she's great. She's perfect as that, I you know. See. Good, yeah. She does a she does a really great job of doing that. And then a lady called Jordana Capra is the woman at the um, the Film Society. They have a little little role, but it's got to be right, and they're both really good.
1: Yeah, definitely. I really like the art critic. I think the art critic she's sort of a similar person to the gang in that she's a bit she doesn't really know why why she's there, why she's got the art gallery. She's very pretentious.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: the vocabulary she uses. Yeah, and she bounces very well off the rest of them.
0: Yeah, and she admits that her parents gave her the money for the art gallery. Yeah, so yeah. she's been facilitated like the others. And of course, the uh, the only other character is we get to see Cricket again in probably his, you know, at his, at his worst. I don't think there's a, <laughs> obviously, obviously maybe the Cricket's Tale, the end of the Cricket's Tale at the denouement, spoiler alert, is probably him at his lowest, but he pretty pretty close to lowest here. And the phrase dog orgy is used more than once.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I've, it's great use of him. Like, he's, he's often the guy that they bring in when they need somebody lower socially than Charlie. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. So, and that's exactly what happens, isn't it? Max suddenly gets fixated on the fact that context is about people having a terrible life. And that's what the context of art has to be. So therefore he goes for Charlie and then he realises that Charlie's life isn't bad enough. So then he he, uh, he switches it up to cricket. It's
1: somebody that they built, that they built his life and (laughs) now they are using.
0: Yeah, well, kind of deconstructed, probably the opposite of built. So in terms of scenes, I have to say the scene where Dennis arrives at the film society is just, it's one of my favourite scenes in the whole of this pantheon of uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia episodes because he's he's so ridiculous because of what he says um, and I just <laughs> he gets caught up in his own lack of knowledge to the point that because he doesn't know um, fifty Shades of gray as written by a woman he then has to involve d and uh, <laughs> and clearly and then when he goes and sees D it's like you could see the pain. See, you can just feel his pain having to ask Dee to do it. That scene is just for me. It's peak, 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 Dennis. But I watched it just now. Obviously, when he says the first line, I literally spat my dinner out. It's just superb. <laughs>
1: yeah, it is brilliant, and peak Dennis, definitely the best way of describing it. I love the voice that he uses. Like he's, he's sort of <laughs> developed a, a new character for himself. When he, when he was reading the book. And it's just the way he peaked Dennis in the arrogance that he displays right from the start. So he doesn't really introduce himself. He doesn't sort of... Presumably, he didn't arrange a meeting. He's just sort of burst in, in a very, like, demure way, and then just started reading aloud from his book. And the woman, yeah, as you say, the the, the art critic... Oh, not the art critic, sorry, the, the literature society woman, does a brilliant job as, as the... Well, as bouncing off Dennis. So she lets him speak, and then obviously still quite minimal with how she responds but it gives Dennis that platform. Yeah, and
0: that's a that's another trope of the program. And another another great one in terms of not bothering to lay pipe to make sure the plots okay that they always just walk into people's offices. <laughs> you know, so many times if they want to see somebody they just arrive.
1: A montage if you could pull together all all of the scenes where they just enter people's offices or people, places where they shouldn't be. Yeah. There's so many just mention it there, I hadn't really noticed it. I, obviously, I have noticed it. I didn't notice it as a, a prominent theme, but yeah, you're right. They do it constantly. <laughs>
0: yeah, either either they walk in uninvited, or you get the the classic setup of they're talking and bickering, and you don't know where they are, and then there's some poor soul on the other side of the desk. Yeah. My second scene that I had down is the porn film scene. <laughs> Again, because it's just so great, because it's so low rent and so budget, and Dee's trying to, trying to be a, a director. Richard's taking a seaweed five, you know, <laughs> and he's committed to it, and Dennis is committed to it. You, know, you get that great bit where Grieco says, let me um, use your pain, but transfer your pain to my finger. It's so well done, the whole thing.
1: Yeah, they really capture the chaos of I mean, what I imagine is the chaos of a, of a of a set. You know, it's like they sort of like candid camera angles that they have, and I like the, the assistant as well. So when um, Richard Grieco calls for a seaweed brick, there's just a guy in a chair reading a magazine, which <laughs> <just> like non- <laughs> nonchalantly <laughs> holds up this bag of seaweed. Yeah, it's totally. Approved. Yeah, I, I agree. It's really well done. Is that?
0: And there's a great line, um, which is. Obviously intended for comedy, but the great thing about it is it's funny in it in of itself. But it also shows that Dee's got no idea what she's talking about because she said I, says I want to see the sadness coming from your tits. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good line. The greatness of it's always sunny in Philadelphia. She doesn't deliver it like it's a punchline. She just says it as if you know that's what Dee would say because Dee's an idiot. Yeah. Yeah, and he
1: believes that she's a, she could be a good director. So the the, the way that they set it up as well is she's she's editing. I don't know if anyone mean, mentioned this scene, but she's ed- editing her own highlight reel. And then Dennis, you know, as we as we know, he's involving her for his own well, for his own reasons to further himself. But the minute he mentions it, she's instantly on board. She says, oh, I've always thought about being a director, and it's <laughs> like like instantly convinced herself that she would be a brilliant director. Yeah, and during that scene. She fully believes in everything she's saying. There's no irony, as you said, there's no punch by humour. She believes that she's a fantastic director doing directing.
0: <laughs> doing directing. Um, I do have a, a nit to pick, um, so we'll come to it about Dee's uh, showreel, but we'll come to it when we do the nits. And the, the final scene, and it's probably not the funniest. Again, it's great writing and it has to be there. It's the final scene, which is quite long um, because there's a lot of elements to it. The story gets wrapped up eventually in Dee's actual film, which is about Dennis uh, having sex with the librarian when he was a kid. So everything else gets passed over and wrapped up in that. And then Dennis gets to deliver the payoff lines at the end. So it's a really important scene, but probably not the funniest.
1: I I think it's a good scene, but I I think what makes the scene as well, I I think Dee's video is really funny. I think it sums up the episode really well, where Dennis makes this very worthy speech. Mm is and isn't art but in the end it turns out that he's just making the speech to frame up that he wasn't raped just to save his own character
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then within this speech he says the great line which again kind of answers what max questions have been in through the whole the whole um, episode he said is art good just because the right people say it is yes it is <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah it
1: doesn't I, mean, I think he probably knew the answer all along, didn't he? But he was choosing not to be, to be disinterested in the conversation.
0: Have you got any other scenes that, from a scene point of view, rather uh, than a line point of view?
1: I really like the scene where Charlie's sort of talking about Richard Greco and he's, he's sort of contemplating doing a Greco thing. And then the next scene, he is immediately like, you know, he's not really framed up. He's just dressed as Richard <laughs> Greco, he got a and a leather jacket, and he's not really. You don't get to see him going through the process of becoming Richard Greco. He just is, he's decided he's going to do it and he is. And I just think the first like shot in that scene where they're in the art gallery and you'll see Charlie the way, dressed the way he is, I think it's really good.
0: Yeah, and I think what we're forgetting and it's just, this has just occurred to me, but because we're familiar now with Ongo Gablogin, I think the first time you see that, it's just absolutely hilarious. Danny DeVito, just his ability to be ridiculous himself, but to become a character within a character. So that's obviously got to be there among the scenes. Yeah. As I say, I think maybe glossed over it because the impact it has when you first watch it is different when you know that Ongo Goblogian is coming.
1: Yeah, it's definitely, you're definitely right. It's one of those, when you watch it for the first time, it's the best part of the episode. But the more times you watch it, you realise there's other parts of it that perhaps got, a, a, perhaps stronger, a few few more watches down the line. But yeah, with Ongo Goblogian, it's definitely a, First watch impact sort of joke, isn't
0: it? Yeah, definitely. And he he looks like um Andy Warhol, and and the and the, it's a great bit of writing as well when he picks out the uh, the air conditioner. I love it. You know, i train trade my limbs for it and all that. And he <laughs> yeah. explains that aren't we all just air conditioners conditioning the air? Yeah, it's great. It's great writing. Yeah,
1: really good scene.
0: So in terms of lines, there's just billions in this. Um, I've narrowed it down to three, and you tell me which you prefer and th- bung your own in as well. Two that didn't make my cut were eggs, you know, from, like, a chicken. Which <laughs> <laughs> that one's my favourite. Yeah, because he, cause he does that in, like, in. does he do that as a Greco? I think that's a Greco one. Yeah, it
1: is, yeah.
0: yeah. It being
1: Charlie, being Greco, so it's... Yeah, he's, he's sort of taking bits of both characters. He's taking bits of who he is yeah. and putting a Greek filter on it.
0: The most goblogian line of all is "Allow me to destroy your gallery." <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Um, the top three I picked were: I'm dr- oh yeah, I'm drawing with a pen and marker and stuff. I'm just. <laughs> i'm just eating the chalk <laughs> that's kind of coupled with i'm not wasting a tom's tom's is good to draw with charlie setting up that he's eating chalk which is another constant thing of charlie's character that he's always eating bad bad things yeah the, my second choice is charlie doing the Greco in the gallery and he just says and he says it so slowly and, and brilliantly he says uh, i got one of those hella sweet lives <laughs> <laughs> But my absolute yeah. favourite, because I've already said it, because it made me spit my dinner out, was bad enters. That wouldn't be the only thing he'd be entering that day.
1: What is <laughs> well, the accent? I think he did a really good job of it. What, what accent is Dennis doing? I don't is know. Like a, is he doing it? Is it um, Fifty Shades of Grey?
0: I've never I'm, seen um, Fifty Shades of Grey, so I, I, uh, who knows? It's,
1: but, it works. It's, sort of like a, it's a little bit British, isn't it? Yeah. But that's definitely probably my favourite line out of those is the one you've just mentioned. That that scene's an absolute triumph. Yeah. I think honourable mentions for me, they're just the bits involving cricket, uh, where he goes, he's introduced to the bar and then Max says, Oh, we're going to use cricket. And cricket's like straight off like the response immediately is use me how, what part of me?
0: (laughs) Yeah, and this time he's not like a few seasons back, you have the cricket where he's worried about what they're going to do to him. Then it's kind of like how much are you going to give me, and then it's just everything's okay, nothing's off limits. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. just a shrug in the shoulders stage.
1: And I like um, Charlie in, in in Greco mode, where again with cricket, where he's, he's offering him the different scenarios, and he's just oh, out you, brother. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and they're both like just so into that. Uh, that's great.
1: Yeah. yeah, but those ones I had, but I think I think it's the sort of episode stealing scene an episode stealing line is dennis entering the the room which wouldn't be the only thing he'd enter <laughs>
0: yeah i mean really it's not just that line it's everything he says until he allows her to speak the whole of his reading of the book yeah. is uh the
1: silence as well we didn't mention when he was silence because she's about to speak but he factors in like silence yes <laughs> yeah shutting the other person up essentially
0: yeah, and then they're the same lines that Greco delivers in the porn film in a very greco esque way. It's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. I love, it's another one of those where there's a lot of quotable lines and a lot of really memorable scenes.
0: Interesting you were saying about them probably doing that as a British accent. They quite often, when they do a British accent, that's the way they kind of do it. you kind of posh and slow, isn't it? And yeah. The Simpsons, whenever they do British, it's always like wonky Cockney, isn't it? You know, yeah. so. Oh, cool! Well, blowing me.
1: Yeah, if, if there's anybody in America listening to this podcast, it will broaden the horizons a little bit. I can understand that some of us are monotone Northern accents <laughs> like myself. Yeah, I don't know
0: what your
1: accent is. Your accent's a bit of everything, I
0: suppose. Yeah, it's kind of. I always used to say Trans Pennine because I did my degree in Leeds and then stayed there for a bit, in formative ish years, and then went down to London for twenty odd years. So uh, hopefully, it's Northern, but not but you can't quite put your finger on it.
1: No, it's very elusive, very enigmatic accent. Yeah, I'll take that. Mine's
0: mine's very easy to typecast, unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah, but not easy for Americans to do.
1: No, and do you know what as well? Game of Thrones has been great. Like with Sean Bean in Game of Thrones and sort of the accents. Some of them, I mean, if we're being honest, Game of Thrones, they are trying to do a Yorkshire accent, and that's been great for the Yorkshire accent (laughs) in Game of
0: Thrones. (laughs) Have you ever seen um, The Death of Stalin? No. So it's a Mando Arnucci film, um, which is about the death of Stalin. And it's based on a French graphic novel about the last days of Stalin. And it's got really good people in it, like Michael Palin's in it. But they get everybody to do their own accent, not to do a fake Russian accent. Because they say, well, people always do that. And it ends up just being like this kind of lingua franca, what we think Russians sound like when they speak English. Stalin was from Georgia himself. So we've got no idea. What Stalin would have sounded like. They let everybody do it in their own in their own accent, yeah. and it works really, really well. I recommend it as a film, actually.
1: Oh, oh cool! Yeah, I'll try and where, where can you watch it? Do you know?
0: Uh, I, it might be on Netflix. I'm not sure. It's, it's a really, it's not um, amazing, but it is funny in parts and just a really interesting view. Just a, it's quite you know a different kind of film, um, mm-hmm. and because it's based on a graphic novel, it's quite cartoony in parts as well. Yeah, as I say, not. Not amazing, but definitely interesting. Definitely an interesting film.
1: I agree with you on the accents as well. Like, if you think about it, it's quite ridiculous that we do fake Russian accents. Or... Yeah, Russia's, Russian's definitely the one that gets done the most. But the, the other good example of where they broke that is Chernobyl, when that was on Sky Atlantic.
0: I've not so seen that yet, but it's amazing, oh, apparently.
1: It's really, really good. But it's, same, it's the same there in, in the sense that they don't try to do, like, Russian accents, and it'd be far. Thinking about it, it'd be far, far worse if they did, because nobody really has a personality. If everybody's just doing a Russian accent, that then you start start to build your perception of the character around that Russian accent. Whereas if you don't ask them to do a Russian accent, they can do their own voice and they can build their character around the way they articulate themselves and the tone of the voice. And you get that in Chernobyl. Like you've got the politicians; you have got these sort of like articulate, booming voices. But then you've got like the workers. But because they're not restricted by having to do a Russian accent, there's just much broader vocal range. So really good if you get a chance to watch it. When I first started watching it, I thought this is going to be really serious, really hard to follow. But it's not, it's quite easy to follow. And I'm horrendous at following stuff. We're watching um, Gangs of London at the moment. Right. Which is another one that's been on Sky Atlantic. And I am absolutely lost. I have no idea what (laughs) But Chernobyl... It's a quite complex thing that happened, but it's a really, really good show and it's quite basic in terms of the storyline, which I appreciate. So,
0: well, have you ever seen um, my favorite TV show, Gamora? No, you've,
1: I think I, I watched a little bit of it, but it's one of those that obviously cause it's in Italian, isn't it? And you know, yeah. the subtitles, so
0: yeah. it's
1: not something you can sort of have on in passing. So, yeah, no. it's to revisit cause i know you speak really highly of it don't yeah
0: yes yeah, it's, it's incredible and because it's not just italian it's neapolitan which is like a quite a, f- a complex version of italian i actually enjoyed especially on you know second third watch enjoyed the having the subtitles because you get an ear for the neapolitan phraseology so you can yeah. kind of enjoy both you know what i mean you enjoy the the kind of rhythm of that kind of speech and also kind of starting to understand it a bit so
1: when I watch um, anime, I always watch in Japanese with the English subtitles. Mainly because, like the English dub actors that they use, and it's not insult. I'm not trying trying to insult the actors. It just loses so much of its like mystique and like excitement and the sort of mystery around the characters. Yeah, yeah, play. English dub over it. So, yeah, I'll definitely try Gamora again.
0: So, um have, did you have anything that's icky in this, other than the porn references?
1: No, the, I had a nitpick.
0: Well, i just say, in terms of an ickiness, I had one. It's just when they laugh at um, the fact that the, the film is Puerto Rican. So, obviously, yeah, yeah. it's probably something of an American trope that there's a, probably a lot of Puerto Rican porn out there I would presume uh, in the American landscape but it just felt a little bit racist that they were laughing at that and and I know, you know one of Michael Hennie's things his has been to show up the, the ridiculousness of racism by showing ridiculous people like the gang being yeah. racist without realising they're racist and I know that it's kind of part of that but that just felt a little bit you know.
1: Yeah they the, the talk about Puerto Ricans in another episode I can't remember what the name of the episode is but it's where D, D tries to enraged them i i I can't remember if it's an episode we've done for this podcast i don't think it is (laughs) d like said i went to this puerto rican community and i started making racist insights towards this oh it took quite a lot because they're a really friendly warm community
0: (laughs) (laughs) well they exactly you know at least they turn it around there so you know so what's your knit what knit have you got to pick
1: Uh, the knit i'd like to pick and it's i only noticed it Watching it today, I'd never noticed it previously. So, at the start, they're looking at a tablet computer, and they have Mac has a top of the range Microsoft Surface tablet. <laughs> and I don't know whether this is like product placement. And if it is, then hats off to them if they can get that sort of sponsorship. But it just doesn't seem to fit that any of them, I suppose they got Frank as a financier, but for them to have this in this sort of horrible, grotty bar, for them to have a top of the range Microsoft Surface tablet. <laughs>
0: with me it wasn't a knit, but i did actually notice that as well um yeah. that, that he had a surface so
1: then hopefully microsoft surface tablet might sponsor this podcast or give us some
0: <laughs> yeah exactly stuff. obviously at microsoft you're listening so get in touch yeah
1: yeah.
0: or somebody from microsoft who's in the marketing department might see an opportunity um yeah my knit. Um, that I'm picking is indeed show reel there's no characters but you know how again it's a, a facet of the show that people always make bad videos hers is bad yeah. but um, she doesn't put any of her characters in it's her in her Greco role in Vigoron Berries and her yeah. M. Night Shyamalian where she totally defies the <laughs> the, uh, and that's a great episode where she totally defies the director because she's supposed yeah. to be dead but she doesn't yeah. bung in many, any of her characters which would be great to see yeah.
1: There's no Mr. Covington's the best character. I
0: think that he. You, you like Mr. Covington the best. Yeah, yeah. I bet
1: there's loads. There's, loads, what's, there's a crazy Paddy,
0: isn't there? Crazy Paddy, yeah, yeah. Um, crazy yeah. Paddy obviously comes back uh, for the St. Patrick's Day episode. Uh, you've got the uh, Martina Martinez. You know, <laughs> I think Martina Martinez might be a Puerto Rican. Actually,
1: what's the other? There's like a Japanese. <laughs>
0: yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> a Japanese character? Cookie, as well. Cookie Kwan, I think maybe is it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. She should have done like a, a compilation of her characters because that's what she just, believes she is—a character actress.
1: I just think Mr. Covington's like, the whole like because that's the episode where they're, they're they're sort of trapped in that shop out there. Yeah, and they all have their fantasies. Yeah, and Deed's been in this like bizarre sitcom where he plays yeah. a British yeah. butler
0: and marriage, think, Josh Groban.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, oh, that's excellent. That's a really excellent episode all around. But that bit with D, D's, I mean, Charlie's, I mean, I don't want to get too deep into this episode. But Charlie's fantasy of Up and yeah. D's fantasy of a celebrity life hinging around this bizarre British sitcom. I mean, it's brilliant. Yeah. yeah, I agree with that nitpick, and I haven't noticed it, but it's going to be a nit that I pick now when I watch the episode.
0: <laughs> Next time you watch it. So, um, before we decide who won, did you have any uh, any other notes? Of any kind?
1: I, I spotted a, a good t shirt from Mac. I like the one that he wore where it said, I think he wore it for the majority of the episode, The End.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's like an old fashioned end credits, isn't it? Yeah, so.
1: Yeah, that's cool. Is it one of his cooler, trendier t shirts?
0: Yeah, and then the other one's are really kind of a feed business, a farm feed business, the other one that he wears. So, but that end one yeah, is, is yeah. quite cool. I don't know if, the, I presume there's a band called The End. I think there's a really bad t- um, metal band called The End. But um, uh, so I don't know if it's named after them.
1: And then Charlie you're getting is, is, is in his McGregor hoodie,
0: yeah. isn't he? Yeah, classic McGregor hoodie. I had two notes. One is that when, you, when I was um, looking up the episode, so I, ty- I typed in Google the name of the episode and what came up was D made a snuff film. So more people, therefore, have, have typed in the, right, <laughs> the wrong name than the right name. So. <laughs> oh yeah,
1: I'm just doing now, and I'm getting the same thing. That is yeah. strange,
0: isn't that? That mean God knows what people think a snuff film is.
1: <laughs> it's not an American English thing, is it? It's not like they haven't changed. It's not called something different in America. It's nothing like that.
0: No, no, I think people just literally got the wrong. It's crazy, more people are wrong than right.
1: Well, imagine that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I know what a world it would be if it was the other way around. <laughs> and the other, the other thing that's worth noting is just that the fact that it's great that in the in the film that D does at the end to have a go at Dennis is they actually use pictures of Glenn Howerton when he was a teenager. That's such a nice yeah. touch. Yes,
1: yeah, it's, it's a good payoff for fans as well, like just to see what he looked like when he was younger. I think it's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, and it is, and as you often say, you know, there's a few things, always a few things that are quite affectionate, and I think that's that's an affectionate nod to Glenn Howerton.
1: It's an underrated, like, we've got, again, like, you could build a montage of all the videos that the gang makes, and it's it's one that's often missed, that one, I think, and it is actually one of the better ones, because it's obviously got its origins in indeed learning how to edit videos, and she uses her skills to make that.
0: Yeah, and it does just, just completely flips it on its head. Um, because it goes all comedy and like, it's got slide whistles and stuff when the teacher gets introduced.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a good, great video.
0: <laughs> Miss Klinsky. So, who won? I think I know who won this episode.
1: Um, Dee.
0: Yeah, I think Dee actually wins this. She doesn't get what she set out for, but she gets mm. to ruin Dennis.
1: She's not driven singularly towards vengeance, but she does get vengeance in the end. So, yeah, she, yeah. I think she... She's the winner, if not one of the
0: winners. She gets to have vengeance over Dennis and she also gets to make a little film. So she probably walks out of there thinking that she is a director as well as getting her vengeance.
1: Yeah, I think Charlie as well. I mean, he doesn't really win anything, but he doesn't come out of it embarrassed or humiliated. I think he just enjoys being Richard Grieco for a bit. Yeah, (laughs) yeah.
0: Mac doesn't get what he wanted. He doesn't get to prove that art is just pretentious. His argument gets lost in the whole thing. Dennis, obviously, is the biggest loser. And Frank probably is a, a loser, considering he spent £35,000 on a painting he's not really interested in. Or was he?
1: Well, exactly. And that's a really good comment. Like The fact that he paid that for it, and the, the art gallery owner saying, oh, a painting's worth whatever anybody would pay for it. So it's quite a serious comment, I think. I mean, not, not serious, but quite a deep comment on on the industry itself
0: it is it is because they a lot of questions what is art and all stuff are not necessarily answered but they are deep questions that no one ever really answers because they shouldn't be answered but they they do give various perspectives on it and in a funny way so hats off to them My, my
1: perspective on it is that something a big factor in what something's worth is what it's worth to the person that owns it so i've got a load of baseball cards that i ordered about five years ago, and they're from like the nineteen eighties, but they're completely worthless. Like they're worth pennies. Like they're probably mm. not, like literally, not worth a card that they're written on. And that's like used as a stick to beat me with. Like Sophie's like, why have you got them when they're worth? <laughs> so well, they're worth something to me. I like them, so they're, they're worth something to me. Yeah, so that's I'm a big believer in that. And same so with Pokemon cards. Like I've got loads of Pokemon cards which the vast majority aren't worth anything, but they're worth something to me. So that's where they get their worth.
0: Yeah, I I agree. And there's something about a baseball cards isn't there? that they are yeah. there's just there, there, there's something about everything to do with them the size and the shape of them what they are yeah. that kind of yeah the smell that that british thing that we have that we find american team names exotic you know so many players have played it because it's such a ga- it's such a player focused game with so many pictures yeah. and stuff and so many big yeah. squads that they have that there's so many people have a baseball card of them and because as i say you know i've kind of got into baseball a lot recently but there'll be yeah. players amongst that who will be fantastic players because we don't know it that well. We won't know, on the whole, the good ones from the bad ones, and that's quite charming as well.
1: Yeah, and it's not something that's pushed down your throat. These are people, like players, as a British person, you've never really heard of before. There's something a bit special about them.
0: I got my son for his birthday last year. I got him um, a complete set of tops from the, the year he was born, which was 1988. Wow. So nice. I put them in a nice in a little album for him because he's a he's a massive baseball fan. Who he plays and
1: I've got all of mine in in folders as well. And there's a massive I had to push very 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 strongly to to get them to to remain on a bookshelf because we've built the nursery now for uh, yes. our, our arrival in September. And there's a lot of books, rugby league books that have been relegated to the loft or the garage. but the baseball cards, I've managed to retain the same where they are, which is a massive win for me.
0: Yeah, I don't know if you're the same, but I because I buy them occasionally, and I've got some got some in a frame. I've got some actually just blue tacked to the side of um, of a bookcase. I'd love to be a collector, but I think you just have to, to really know what you're doing to make it worthwhile, wouldn't you? You'd have to have so many and have so much knowledge and stuff like that.
1: I'm not driven and we could go on for hours by the way about this. Yeah, well, you know. I'm not driven by acutely researching and forensically analysing which ones are going to make me the most money. I look at them on like eBay or Facebook Marketplace or wherever I find them and think, Oh, they look quite cool. And I order them. That's really my only qualifier for for wanting to buy any sort of collectible. If they do end up being worth a lot of money in the future, then happy days. I'm delighted. (laughs) But I like things that are in mint condition that I can then in a folder to retain them being in mint condition but that's really the only thing i'm looking for if the as i say if there were something in the future then great if they're not then i'll still love them
0: last thing on on uh, baseball cards i created during lockdown a baseball card game so it's one of those games where um so you use two dice so whatever the whatever happens with the dice is what happens with the ball so it's a strike or it's a single or whatever like like that so you move players along around the the diamond T- take a picture from the cards and you take a batter from the cards he gets a uh, single then he's on first base and the next person comes up so cool idea we'll have to play it sometime over zoom
1: yeah let's do it let's do it just completely abandon the podcast yeah. concept.
0: <laughs> exactly so. and people would people would pay to listen to that i'm sure <laughs> so unless we have anything else to say we just need to decide which is the next episode.
1: No, nothing else
0: to say. Let's do the next one. Okay, so 14 seasons. So 1 to 14. Our random number generator, Agent Jack Bauer, is ready for action. Tell me how many times to press his nose. Twice. Season 8.
1: There's 10 episodes
0: in Season 8. So min 10 max, uh, min 1 max 10. How many
1: times?
0: Uh, Twice. So uh, 8, I said, didn't I? Season 8. Episode okay. 7.
1: <laughs> frank's back in business
0: oh man <laughs> i'll tell you what, what the random big... num- num- number generator has been so good to us
1: we're on a great streak aren't we
0: yeah oh you got the warthog you got charlie <laughs> trying to convince the japanese um businessman. oh god it's so good that episode
1: yeah brilliant episode looking forward to that one that's charlie that i don't know we spoke about it because you've got and again, we'll, we have this habit at the end of our episodes of already analysing the next episode. Yeah. Just briefly, we spoke about um, Charlie in lawyer mode and the outfit he wears. Yeah. This is where he, he, he dials it up even further and he goes full corporate.
0: Yeah, he goes full um, Wall Street businessman. Yeah. Uh, by Brilliant. which I mean both Wall Street, the street and the film. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, very
0: true. So there you go. Um, that has been episode number six of jabronis only it's been great to have you with us it's a good night from me it's
1: a good night from me hella hella
0: hella 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 hella. boys and boys a red shred hockey equipment beneath the bed swimsuit calendar on the wall deflated basketball limbo says you don't know no jose can say go got dirty